Good morning. Today's reading is Matthew 7, 7 through 12 in NIV. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. All right, good morning. Everybody good? Good, good, good. So two things. First off, if you have a seat, if you're sitting in a seat, then in front of your seat is likely one of these. Pull that out right now and hold it up like this. And here we all are holding these things up. And if you read that, on one side, it says, we watermark, and it, and it has like all these dates there. And you could pick one of those in which you're going to serve at we watermark, because it's a barren wasteland of adults back there. Don't worry if your child's back there. We got it covered today. <laughs> there is just not enough people to watch the kids, to take care of the kids. And to like, you, don't even have, you don't have to teach anything. You just have to have a little bit of love in your heart for someone other than yourself. <laughs> And you can make a huge difference and make Nicole happy. You can do it. Um, and on the other side, you flip that over and it says hospitality team. And you pick another date in which you can just simply serve your loving community, maybe some coffee or hold a door. You can hold a door, right? I can hold a door. I did. You saw me. I was holding the door. Some of you can do that. Um, so that's that. Fill this out. Um, drop it in the offering box on the way out. There's one here, and there's one there, and there's one out there. Um, do that. We desperately need people. If you're like, I, if you're wondering how you can serve, there it is, right there. Um, also, um, since we don't have slides, um, you get stare at me all morning. But also, if uh, if you go to the website, you go to watermarktampa.com. Let me make sure I do this right. And you go to, um, if you're on a phone, there'll be like a drop-down menu on the top right. And you click on, uh, you click on Sunday, ser- no, you, yeah, you click on gatherings, and then you click on Sunday services, Sunday visuals, oh, sermon visuals, there it is, look at me, I don't know what I'm doing up here. <laughs> click on sermon visuals, uh, I have sermon visuals, and you can click on those, and you can see the things that you were meant to see on a large screen, but you see them on a tiny screen, you can do that this morning, so that'll help. Um, there's like drawings and stuff that I made. From my heart, you're welcome. From my heart to you. Um, okay, so, and uh, I thought about even holding up like a, a little triangle, and when it's time to like flip slides, go ding. <laughs> but I didn't. But now I think about it every time it's time to turn the page. Um, so this is our passage today, seven through twelve. Um, again, there's Bibles in front of you. There's Bibles on the internet. There's Bibles everywhere. Bibles have never been so ubiquitous. Just want you to know that. They're everywhere. Um, And so uh, we're going to go through this passage, and I don't have my safe haven of going like this and turning my back and looking and directing attention away. So now you're all going to stare at me. Okay, so let's pray, and uh, let's get into this this morning. Father, thank you for this place and these people. The the community that you are building here is beautiful, and it's it's, um, a wonderful encouragement to so many of us uh, in our journey towards you as we collectively together crawl towards Christ as best as we can. I ask that you give us perspective, give us understanding, help us to uh, help me help me to communicate clearly the things that I've studied this week. Um, let there be no distractions. Um, let there be um, nothing but sort of presence and open hearts to receive the things that you have for us. Uh, guide us, lead us, uh, warm us up a little bit. Um, and uh, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Um, sorry, it's cold. There's nothing I can do about it. I don't control the weather. You guys okay? You, you all right? We good? I'm just checking. Okay. I've, I'm good. I'm a little hyper. Um, okay. So we're going to start off, um, and we're going to, I'm going to read this to you. Ask and it will be given to you, starting in verse seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. Uh, to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, um, typically, when we quote scripture, 
we, we like to take it where it is and, and rip it out of its context and make it about what we desire for it at the moment to be about. For instance, um, this verse is usually, when I hear it talked about and quoted, oft quoted, I, I hear it talked about in a way that's like, oh, I mean, Bible says, you know, seek and you'll find, ask and you'll receive, knock and the door will be open. You haven't been asking. And maybe that thing you don't have, the reason you don't have it um, is because you're not, you're not asking right. In other words, you don't have enough faith. And so your lack of faith is detrimental to you and it's hurting you. And now that's why you don't have what you desire. Um, that's, that's crap. Um, it's, not, it's not at all how we handle the Bible. Um, proof texting, picking a verse and just quoting it out into the air um, is not a right way to handle the Bible. It's not a right way to handle each other's letters either. Um, and so we, we understand like words are written in paragraphs and those paragraphs within letters and each letter, um, you can't just take a piece of that letter out and say, and just make it about what you want it to be about. Um, this verse, believe it or not, is after the verses that came before it. <laughs> That's important to remember. And you know what else it's before? The verses that came after it. Now, what came before it? So um, the passage before it that we talked about, I don't know, several weeks ago, um, it starts off by saying, do not judge or you will be judged. Okay, so it's about, it's about people, relationship with people. Don't judge people unless you're ready to be judged yourself. And then it talks about um, why do you look at a speck of sawdust in verse 3? Why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So it's, it's like um, you're judging other people. You yourself have things. You need to clean those things up. And then it talks about a little later in verse 6, don't give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. Um, so if you weren't here for that, quick explanation. Um, it's don't give unwanted advice or advice for people who, which are, people who are not prepared to receive it. Um, in the same way, you wouldn't give priceless jewels um, to somebody who cannot, who doesn't know what to do with them and how to use them or, or how to keep them safe um, or what the value of them is. Don't give unsolicited or unwanted advice. It doesn't come across as advice. It comes across as... Um, Ridicule, um, because correct me if I'm wrong, but enlightened people are sometimes annoying. <laughs> because they they want so bad to enlighten you, right? What do we got? Nice, thank you. I need that. I'll save this. Um, enlightened people are very typically they, they come to you and they're like, um, "Here's what you really should do. Um, here's what you should be doing." And then you you kind of you hear their advice and uh, you're like, "I." I think you're talking at me, not, not to me. Um, and so there's this sort of, there's this posture uh, of which you, sometimes you're giving stuff to people and they, they don't know what to do with it. You're maybe on a level eight and the advice that you have might be great for a level seven, um, but not like someone who's at like the beginning of the journey, right? Um, and so that is the verse that directly comes before this verse. That is important to understand. It's really important because it actually tells you and gives you a premise of the point of the verse that we're studying today. So don't give, don't give to dogs, verse 6, don't give to dogs what is sacred, don't throw your pearls to pigs. If, if you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Then verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Huh. That's an interesting connection. For some reason, we created a big paragraph break in the 15th century we put numbers there to give these things all sort of references. Those numbers were not there when the Bible was written. We put them there. Um, and then someone in your Bible, I guarantee you, there's a break there. And it probably says, ask, seek, knock, or something to that effect. Um, that's not original to the Bible. That's something we added in. Um, probably bad judgment because it takes things and it separates them and removes the connection between them. Um, but what we have here is a conversation in context. It's about me and you. It's about our relationships together. It's about all of us and our relationships together. Now, that does not mean it's not about God as well because all through scriptures is this constant recurring theme that our relationship with people and our relationship with God are interconnected. They are 
forever bound together that cannot be separated. Um, scriptures regularly talk about if you don't forgive people, how can you expect God to forgive you? Um, uh, says there's, there will come a time when you will stand before God and, and he will say either, either, either thank you or he will, um, he will condemn you for, for not visiting him when he was in prison or clothing him when he was naked or feeding him when he was hungry. Because if you didn't do this to these other people, then you didn't do it to him. So there's this connection between your treatment of people and your treatment of God. Scriptures say, if you do not, um, if, you, um, if you say you love God and, and hate your brother, you're a liar, the truth is not in you. Like, these things are connected. If, if one relationship is off and out of whack, the other is as well. If one relationship, it, you, can't, you can't be a racist bigot and then claim to have a great relationship with God. It just doesn't work. It's just not true. You're obviously a liar, and the truth is not in you. You can't um, expect to ignore the beauty and the depth and the spirituality of, of humanity and, and the cosmos, the, the, your own soul, and expect to fully be prepared to give people everything that they need because this is all part of their life as well. These two things work together. If you strengthen one, you're strengthening the other, and vice versa. So, um, here we are in today's passage, ask, seek, and knock. So we're going to go through this, and there, it's, it's sort of two groups of three, and then there's an ending. And verse 12 today is sort of a summary of everything going back to, verse chapter, to chapter 5, which has come before it, the entire Sermon on the Mount. So, um, let's start right here. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So let's start with ask uh, in verse 7. So there is this... Um, so, uh, so the great Dallas Willard, he died a few years ago. Incredible, brilliant man, theologian, uh, preacher, pastor. He, he wrote this book called The Divine Conspiracy. Really thick book. Lots of people bought it and didn't finish it. It's the most widely unread book. <laughs> um, and uh, there's this whole passage on there, whole chapter in there. Years ago I read it on, um, on this passage. And a quote by him. Um, where are we at? So he says... Um, as long as I am condemning people and pushing my pearls onto them, I am their problem. I am their problem. I'm not their helper. I'm not their solution. Someone who's standing there and everyone's trying to fix their problems. Everyone's coming. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should do. They're, they're your problem. They're not your solution. They're not what you need, honestly. Um, which is why oftentimes in your marriage it's not helpful to just simply, well, here's what you should be doing. Here's what you should be doing. Here's what you should be doing. Why haven't you done this yet? They would, sometimes we don't need someone, most of the time, we don't need someone to just fix our problem. We, we, we know what we're doing is stupid and it's wrong and we need to change it. We need someone to understand. We need someone to listen. The ask part. So it goes from stop pushing your advice onto them, ask, and you'll receive. There's some space. There is um, a posture of listening and it's a non-manipulative posture. You're not trying to change them. You care that they change, but you understand that you cannot change them. You can do nothing to make anyone else change. The only person you can control is you. And the best thing that you can do for them is to work on yourself and, and move towards them and create that space and ask. Have you ever thought about asking, what can I do to help? Here's the situation you find yourself in. How can I help? I... I don't know what to do. Oftentimes the reason, and, and admitting that you don't know what to do is a huge deal. Because most of the time you think you know what to do, you think you know what they should do. But you didn't grow up in their circumstances. You didn't grow up living in a world, the same world that they live in, even if you're neighbors. There are vast differences in the way people are treated depending on their backgrounds. You don't understand that. I mean, you might understand that, but you don't even know, understand what they are. And so creating the space and listening is a huge deal. It's important. Um, and so ask. It's a, monot- it's a non-manipulative posture. What, what if you asked? See, the, the, the heart, the human heart, is, is locked from the inside. And you cannot get into there and, and manipulate it. They must open up. And so the goal is to get them to open up. To be that person for which they can open up. And so you get to the second part. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. This is really important. Um, 
If you're looking at the slides, this will be the terrible stick figure drawing of the dude. Um, this, is, uh, this is important. So I, I have a picture there of a guy with a whole bunch of lenses around him. Because the fact is, what you desire to see in people is what you will see. If you desire to see, first off, a lot of this is theologically driven. Because again, your relationship with God and your relationship with people are intertwined. And if you have some really bad theologies about people, it's going to mess with your, uh, your view of them. There is, I was raised um, hearing a lot about the idea that human beings are totally, absolutely depraved. There's no good in them whatsoever. And it causes you to see people like that. And so as I look around, it causes you to actually be very tribal. Um, because if they're totally depraved, but you are chosen and saved, then they really, they can only come your way. You have no reason to go their way. You have no reason to stop and listen. They're totally depraved. There's nothing good that they could say. There's nothing good that they know. Even the things that they do know that they think are good are actually bad because they're absolutely totally depraved. So if you want to see people as totally rotten and ugly and nasty and sinful, you will see that if that's what you're seeking to see. If you want to see the image of God in people, you can see that. If you want to see um, love and dignity, worth and empathy, if you want to see the world through their eyes, if you want to see the love they have for the people around them and their children, um, the community that they were raised in that was much more beautiful than you even realized, if you want to see that, you can see that. Seek, and you'll find. But it's not going to happen unless you first ask. First, you must ask some questions. And if you want to see the the good in people, you will see it. If you want to see... um, Maybe a path to healing for them. You will see it. But if you want to see, now there's nothing but condemnation and destruction for you. You will see that. Seek and you will find. Um, This has to do also with your view of the church. A lot of people in in your generation are, um, there's a lot of books, podcasts, all of that, which are really great and very compelling and fascinating and helpful to help us understand the problems with the modern church, the problems with modern Christianity, um, the turns, the, the, the wacky turns that evangelicalism has taken over the last few years. Um, and we like to talk about them, and we like to podcast our ideas about them, and blog about them, and write about them. However, if that's all you're seeking, everything that's wrong with the church, the church will always look wrong to you. If that's what you desire to see, you can find that. I can too. Um, but when you do that, you're, you're, there's a lot of questions you're not asking. Again, going back to the ask, you're not asking a lot of questions of these people who are writing these things like, what is their context? Where did they grow up? Um, the vast majority of them that are bashing this thing are bashing this thing, um, which is not like w- what everyone else is experiencing. 90% of churches in America are less than 50 people. None of them are speaking about those kind of churches. Um, if you desire to see a church that is, that is pursuing power and politics and, and is tribal and is pushing people away and is judgmental, you will and can see that. However, if you desire to see a church that has roots in ancient, beautiful communities of people that have absolutely changed the world, the inventions of public schools and hospitals and all of these things, um, public ed- mass education for children, um, if you desire to see what the church has actually done that is incredibly beautiful um, and should be pushed forward and keep going, you can see that. It's really what you're seeking. Seeking, you, you'll find. If you want to see the Bible itself as this outdated ancient book, which is useless and... and um, doesn't need to be read today, but should just be put on the stack of the shelf with everything else, you can see that if you'd like to. If you'd like to see the Bible as this ancient collection, this ancient library um, of books and letters and poems and songs written by followers of the divine, of God, of Yahweh, followers of Jesus who, who knew and walked with this person and who went to incredible great lengths to insert all of the beauty that they have ever found in these layers of scriptures that at the surface layer, you're going to find one thing, you're going to go deeper, you're going to find something else. And in fact, you'll never hit the bottom of it because the literary devices that they're using and the metaphors that they're using, um, if you want to see the Bible as this incredible, life-giving well of beauty and awe and wonder and connection with the words of God, you can see the Bible for that. It's all in what you're seeking. There was a time when I had those views about the church, about the Bible, everything. Now, at this point, I understand now. The Bible is 
the most incredible book ever written. Every time I dive and plunge into the depths of it, the things I discover just, they blow my mind for lack of a better metaphor. I hate that metaphor, by the way. But it's eye-opening. If you want to see it as useless, you can see that. If you want to see how incredibly, incredibly useful it is for today, you can see that. Seek, and you will find. Um, the last one here um, in, this, in this set of three is knock, and the door will be opened to you. So this one is kind of comical. In the ancient world, doors were just like your doors today. So this will be helpful to understand, because you use doors most days. Um, about yay big. They have two hinges and a doorknob and locks, and they even had keys. They had all of this. Um, and so when you went to someone's house... You knocked on the door, just like we do. See? Um, knocked on the door. And you could just stand, and they would open the door, and you'd talk to them. So the idea here that Jesus is painting is of somebody who gets all dressed. I'm going to go see so-and-so. I, I, there's, I, I need to enter into their home and connect with them. There's something I need from their house or from them, some relationship or something that I need. So you get all dressed. You pack up your bags, and you go to their house, and you stand there, and you stand at the door like you're a minion from Fight Club, and you just stand there. And they don't know you're there, and you're just standing there. Um, there is this posture that we tend to take where um, all of these things connect with, connect with, our, with our understanding of God as well. Um, asking God for things in a non-manipulative way is a really important thing to, under, to understand. We spend a lot of time trying to manipulate God. Look at all the good things I'm doing, God. Look at all the money I gave, God. Look at, I got up every morning, and depending on if you're Baptist or Pentecostal, I had my quiet time or, like, my loud time. And I had that. And I, you know, I'm doing all the right things, and I'm expecting good things. That's not asking. That's not any request. That is, that is putting God in your debt. Um... And you offering your pearls of wisdom to God, and there's things that I would like that I'm expecting now. Success, wealth, um, perfect spouse, odd kids, all of it. House. Um, That's manipulative. That's not relationship. Ask. Have have you actually asked? The valid question to ask about this. Now, um, seek. Again, that's all there as well. There's things you want from God. If, um, the things that you desire to have from God, seek them. Um, if they're what he has for you, yes, you will find them. But um, if you don't seek, if you never ask, you're likely never going to see these things or receive these things. I mean, um, if you're trying to put God in your debt by doing good things, all 12 of the apostles lived these holy, great, wonderful lives, lives and, and all of them, it, went, it just went really bad for all of them. Every one of them. It went really bad. Now, um, so here we come to um, knock and the door will be open to you. And it's the picture of someone standing at the door, but they're not knocking and they're just waiting. What are you waiting for? Oh, I want to talk to so-and-so. Hey. Are they not home? I think they're home. Really? <laughs> How do you know? Oh, I, can, I can hear them in there. Why don't they open the door? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They'll open the door when they open the door. And they're going to open the door and they're going to see you standing there and be a little creeped out. <laughs> knock if you want the door open to you. Knock and the door will be opened. If I hear a knock on my door, I usually go check it. If I open the door in the morning and one of you are standing there, <laughs> likely going to meet a police officer. No. I, I, it's, it's, it's normal interactions. If you don't knock, no one's going to open the door. So it's kind of this comical thing that he tacks on the end. Um, and so, um, all of this is both connection with people, connection with God. Dallas Willard even says um, about this passage, he says, prayer in this sense is simply the proper way for people to interact. Prayer is a very n- normal, proper way to interact with God. It's sort of a way we interact with each other. A lot of our conversation, if you listen to it, is sort of petition and prayer with each other. Um, and so there's that. And then, and then so we go from ask, seek, knock, and then we go into this other thing that Jesus has, does here. Um, if you start in verse 9, we're going to go to verse 11. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who seek him? Now, so there's, uh, there's four Gospels. The first three are called synoptics. It's sin, like the word synonym. It means the same. It's because um, they're very similar. They're very alike. Um, and then there's the book of John, the Gospel of John. Um, they all four tell the story of Jesus' life. Um, however, the book of John is different. So in the, in, the synoptic, in the synoptic Gospels, last week we talked about why the book of John was different. If you want to know why, go back and listen to the podcast. So you have Matthew and you have Luke who, who both tell the Sermon on the Mount. Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount has emphasis on different things. Um, and he actually mentions something that Matthew doesn't about this. There is one more um, illustration, little metaphor, allegory, because Jesus says in, book, in Matthew's book, he says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? So there's, there's uh, bread and fish. Luke adds one more um, and removes the bread one. Luke says in um, verse 12, hold on, I'm getting there, uh, Luke eleven twelve. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Luke 11, 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? And then verse 12, it says, or if he asks you for an egg, will give him a scorpion. So you read this and you're like, is he just naming random things? Like if I asked for pizza, why would you give him a TV? <laughs> He's just not making up random things. These things all have connections to today. To fully understand what's going on here, um, you would likely... You would either have to like live in that day and you would understand why, or you can just study this Bible contextually and you'll learn it this way. Um, so let me open this up for you. Remember when Jesus is walking in the desert for 40 days and he's fasting and he's being tempted earlier in the book of Matthew. He's being tempted by the, the enemy. The devil comes along and says to him, hey, I hear you haven't been eating. And he's like, no, I haven't. How long? 40 days. It's a long time. I bet you're hungry. He's like, yeah, I bet you could really, I bet you'd like some carbs. I really would. He says, look around you. See these stones? You could turn them all into bread. Now, the stones in that area and the loaves of bread that the people would make, many of them were the same color and the same shape. And so Jesus is walking through what looks like loaves of bread (laughs) while not eating for 40 days. I mean, I'm on like day six of Whole30 and I'm dying. Now, (laughs) yes, seven. Um, Now, picture as well. um, So like this is is what's happening here. So we have this passage in in Matthew 9, 11. Sorry, Matthew 7, 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Um, Picture a father and a son walking through the wilderness or along the Sea of Galilee. Those stones are there too. And they look down. Your son's like, Dad, I'm hungry. I'm really, really hungry. Here, picks up a rock, tosses to him. Eat this. Okay, so there's like this mocking tone. It says, you wouldn't, you wouldn't treat your children like that. And then he says, uh, in verse 10, or if you asked for fish, would give him a snake. Now, uh, snakes were not allowed to be eaten. Um, they, according to the, the, the Jewish laws, um, the Torah, they, they were not allowed to eat those because they didn't have, uh, they, they could eat, let me back up. Because um, I'm trying to put this in the right context for you. Sorry. Uh, I need a screen. Um, okay. So, the Sea of Galilee, where the people fished. Um, they would eat the fish that come out of there as long as they had scales. There's certain kind of fish that do not have scales that they're not allowed to eat. Catfish, mudfish. Um, and also, the Mediterranean Sea has an overabundance of moray eel. Oftentimes, when the people are fishing and they're pulling up a bunch of fish, they're also going to get eels with it. Um, they didn't have special qual- uh, qualifications and classifications for all these different kinds of animals, and so they just called it a snake. And so what you picture is a father and a son fishing, the son learning his father's trade, and they're out, and they go fishing, and they catch a bunch of fish, and likely a couple eel. They come out to the shore, they dump it all, they're sorting the fish, and the son says once again, Dad, I'm, I'm hungry. And the father looks at what he's got, tosses in the eel. If you eat something in the first century that is unclean, and you're a Jewish uh, follower of Jesus. Uh, you're you're a, a Jewish worshiper. Um, you suddenly have broken communion with God and people. You you can't go to the synagogue to learn. You can't go to the temple to offer sacrifices. You have to go see the priest and and offer some sacrifices yourself to cover and atone for your sins, which comes at a monetary cost. Um, 
all of these kinds of things. It's, it's, a, it's sort of a, a relation breaker with God and your community, your spiritual community. And so what you have here is a father who, first off, looks at the, what he's got and says, I could give him a fish, but I'm about to sell these. I could feed my son or I could make some money. Here, nobody's going to buy an eel and tosses him an eel, a snake, as they would call it. Um, also, it's a father not caring about the spiritual state of his son. It's a father not caring about um, his soul, his spiritual journey. I don't care if he's unclean. I don't, I don't care if he can't enter the temple to worship. I don't care if he loses community. All of that is going on right there. And then lastly, you come to the last one, and it's, um, it's which one of you, if, if your son asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion. Again, you picture walking through the wilderness, and there is this Mediterranean scorpion, which is, which is tan, sort of whitish, and when it sleeps, it curls its claws up like this, and its tail wraps around the back of it, sort of makes an oval shape when it's at rest. Looks like an egg. Um, like a white, little, small egg, but they're rather big scorpions. Um, and so the idea is your son sees something, he's like, oh, look, an egg. And Ned's like, yeah, eat it. And it stings you, and you die. Don't laugh at that. Come on. Um, so it's things, all three of these things, they're things that appear to be one thing, but are another thing. Um, it's something that appears as if it, um, it appears as if it would fill you up but it's like eating a stone. It appears as if it, it fits in with the journey, your spiritual journey of your soul, but in fact, it destroys your relationship with the divine. It's the thing that, that you feel, um, it's just what you need. You're in the desert, you need an egg, you need food. It's exactly what you need. Um, and when you receive it, it's actually what does you in in the end. Okay? Um, so what does this mean? Um, I'll start off with uh, something from Dr. Henry Cloud. The story that he tells. Um, and actually, a couple of his books, he tells this story. He's a psychologist, PhD. Um, he talks about one day, uh, a man came to see him and said, I'm having trouble with my 20, like 23-year-old son. He says, what's going on? He says, my son has all kinds of problems. He goes, what are they? Um, well, he's, he's just not growing up. He lives in our house. He's in his bedroom. He's playing video games all day. He's drinking heavily. He's always hanging out and partying with his friends. He didn't finish school. He won't get a job. He won't work hard. Um, when we disciplined him, we came to him and said, it's time to grow up. You have to move forward in life. You've got to do other things. He ran away to our, to our winter Aspen home. Um, and, and went and hit the slopes and just did the same thing there. We can't get him to grow up, you know, failure to launch, right? Like, he won't. He won't fly the nest. Um, Dr. Cloud looked at him and said, I don't think your son has any problems at all. I was like, well, what do you mean? Everything he wants, he asks for, he, he gets. He has a place to stay. He's got a stocked fridge. He's got booze. He's obviously got money to do all these things. He's got a house in Aspen where he can hit the slopes, hang out, party, have fun. Your son has no problems. The problem is all yours, and you've been giving him gifts that are not good for him. And he's asking for things like, uh, oh, this will make me happy. But really, it's just like eating bread. It's really bad for him. And the things that he thinks he wants, he's asking for, and you're giving them to him, and it's destroying his future and his life and his relationships. He says, you're giving your son bad gifts. That's what this is. Remember, this is all relationship. Don't throw your pearls for, before swine. Have you thought about asking and seeking? And not, if you knock on the door, maybe it will be opened. Um, and, and, and by the way, um, a good father is not going to give bad, hurtful things to one that he loves. Not going to do that. Um, in, this, in the same way, you're not going to give a toddler hot cocoa, right? Um, it's hot cocoa is a good gift, especially this week. Right now, it would be nice. It's a nice, wonderful thing to have. And you love your toddler. Good thing, good thing. Put them together. You've got a, a ruined rug and a crying baby because they burned themselves, right? Baby's more important than the rug, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's not a good thing. You're mixing things that ought not be mixed. There are good things, good gifts that you can give to people when they're ready to receive them. Not now. Um, and then... So it's basically, he says, he says, don't give them things that are bad for them. It's giving a drunk a drink. It's, it's once again giving money to the person who's just going to gamble it away. It's once again, it's the person comes to you and says, can I just, 
I'll do better this time. Just give me this. And you're like, fine. Last time, though, seriously, the last 12 times were fake last times. This is the real last time. And here's the thing. And it's gone. And they're back next week. Because you are a part of their problem. Off, you are. And then when you try to withhold it from them, what are they going to do? They're going to turn and they're going to attack you. They're going to say you don't care. But you do. And this is why you're not giving it to them. Okay? Um, which leads to a question. A lot of you likely have things in your life that you've been asking God for that you desire more than anything. You're desperate for these things. You know, job and kids or a spouse or, or um, uh, whatever it is. Wealth, fame, success. Maybe the reason you don't have it is because you're really not ready for it and you, it would be really, really bad for you. It's possible. Um, there are a lot of people. I've been, in, in my 10 years of pastoring this church, I, there, I, there's a lot of people um, who have received things when they, shouldn't, when they weren't ready to receive them. Success, marriage, they, don't, they never end well. They don't. But you're demanding and you're begging. Work on yourself. Um, someone apparently in Port Ritchie, like two days ago, won like $240 million. It's not going to go well. <laughs> it's not. Five years they'll be broke and wishing they never won the money. That's how it is for all of us. None of us are prepared to receive these massive, huge, good things. You're just not prepared. There is a progression of the soul, of the heart, of the spirit, of the mind. There's a time and a place. Um, And so then we move to verse... Oh, hold on. Romans chapter 1. I wanted to bring this up because there's a particular passage here where where Paul writes to these people and he he says, look, you've wanted all this stuff for so long and God finally... One of the ways he's punishing you and disciplining you is by giving you what you've been asking for. Romans chapter 1, verse 28, 31. I'm going to read it from a translation called The Message because it carries this really interesting weight that Eugene Peterson puts on it. He says this. uh, It says, since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. In other words, he he gave them what they wanted. And then all hell broke loose. Rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made, they made life hell on earth with their envy wanton, killing, uh, envy, wanton killing, bickering, and cheating. And it says, they keep inventing new ways of wrecking their lives. Oftentimes, the chastening, the discipline that you will get will come in the form of, fine, take it. I'll see you when you hit rock bottom. Have the thing that you weren't ready for. And then when you hit the bottom, we're finally ready to rebuild. Build something strong. A good father doesn't, doesn't give bad gifts. A good friend doesn't give bad gifts. Um, someone who really cares about the growth and the health and the journey of another person doesn't give bad gifts. Verse 12. Verse 12 sums up everything from 520 really most of the Sermon on the Mount, to right now. And it says this. It's very simple. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This sums up the law and the prophets. Now, this plays directly into this sort of rabbinical conversation that was happening at the day. Um, people don't realize how unique this passage is to Jesus. There is no one who said this and who put this like this. Um, there are a lot of people who said similar things but with a twist. Um, For instance, when Jesus says this, um, he's really confronting, again, the two major uh, Jewish schools of thought of the first century. One was called, do you remember? Oh, Hillel. Hillel, over here. What was the other one? Shammai. Okay, so there's these two schools of thought. One of them was very legalistic, very fundamentalist, very like, no, the law, uh, we obey it, we learn it, we know it, we study it, all of that. Hillel over here was very much like, um, well, the center of the whole law is just, um, it's all just love. We're very gracious. However, they both had these misinterpretations and certain points here and there that Jesus seeks out and corrects. One of them is on divorce. I actually posted a 
a blog earlier, yesterday, the day before, that was about Jesus confronting the ideas of, um, of divorce with Shemai and Hillel. Hop on Facebook, follow it, read it, read it there. Now, um, so there was this Gentile in the first century who went to one of the leaders of Shemai and said to him, um, I'll tell you what, if you can tell me, if you can sum up all of Judaism while standing on one leg, then I will, I will convert to Judaism. Now, the standing on one leg part, that's a rabbinic way, a Jewish way of saying, condense it all in one, into one sentence. Okay. Um, and he goes to the, one of the leaders of Shema and says, if you can, all of Judaism on one leg, I will, I will convert. And it says that Shemai was there and he's holding his staff and he looks at him and he hits him with the staff and chases him off because it's impossible because it's huge, it's too big. It, it can't be condensed. And so the Gentile goes over to Hillel, the Hillel leaders, and he says, if you can condense all of Judaism and you can tell it all while standing on one leg, I will become a Jew. And Hillel looks at him and he says something very simple. He says, do not, do not do to your fellow what you hate to have done to you. It's similar to what Jesus said, but it's the negative version of it. It's don't do anything that you wouldn't want done to you. So that's how he summarizes the law and the prophets. Um, and this, from different places in the world, you can see different sets of laws, the Code of Hammurabi, um, even American laws, most laws are built around this idea that, like, if you wouldn't want it done to you, you shouldn't do it to other people. And so most laws that you actually see came from somebody doing that to someone, um, and they didn't like it, and so now it's a law. All right? Now, um, this goes all the way back. In, in, um, even, even Confucius in, interacted with this. There's this guy named Tse Kung, and he, um, he once went to Confucius and said, is there, is there one word which may serve as a rule of practice for all of one's life? And Confucius looks at him and responds, is not reciprocity such a word? Same idea. So this idea is ancient and it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Jesus, however, comes in and doesn't say, um, he doesn't say the negative version. He doesn't say, don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. He says, do unto others what you would like them to do to you. And despite like, it doesn't sound like a big difference, but it really is. Because really, what Hillel would say, what Confucius would say, what most Americans law, American law would say, and most worldwide law would say, is that you can keep all of the law by doing nothing at all. By just sitting down and staying there. And you'll do a good job at keeping all the laws. Just, just you know what? Even better, like... Go like Unabomber without the bombing. Like go into the woods and get a cabin. Just disappear. And you'll, but don't melt bombs. And you'll keep all of the laws. And you'll just be there by yourself doing nothing wrong. Now, I want you to imagine you're at a wedding. And, and they're like, well, okay, we wrote our own vows. Great. The groom and the bride are going to read their own vows. And the groom opens up his vows. He goes, I promise... Not to make you mad. I promise not to offend you. I promise not to hurt you in any way at all. That's all. The end. <laughs> there's a lot wrapped up in that. But your entire marriage would be a success if you never saw him again. <laughs> That's not what wedding vows are. Wedding vows are wrapped up in love. Now, here's what I'm going to do. What Jesus does is, the, is this whole other version of this thing. It is one thing to say, I'm not going to hurt you. It is another to say, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be gracious to you. It's another whole thing to say, um, I'm going to treat every single person out there in the way that I would like for them to treat me. I... I have problems and sins in my life that people don't know about, and I need, when they come out, I need people to be gracious with me, so I'm going to be gracious with other people when I find their sins. Um, there are people that I haven't reconciled with um, that I need to reconcile with, so I, I hope that the people that need to reconcile to me, whom I've offended, I hope they will come to me and reconcile. There are, um, there are, I have shortcomings. 
I am where I am. I should be farther along, but I'm here. And, I, and I, what I want is for people to understand that I am where I am and I have a journey to go on. And, and instead of like throwing pearls at me uh, from a distance, I want them to come understand that this is where I am and accept me where I am and then walk with me. Listen, ask questions. Help me become healthy. This is what I hope other people would do for me. So this is what I'm going to do for other people. It's very simple. Um, and in fact, in Matthew, so the law, the law cannot compel anyone to do good. That is the ground, the basis for this whole thing, the groundwork for this whole thing. That, that the law, and Paul writes about this, the law cannot compel anyone to do anything good. It just can't. All it can do, all the law can do is keep you from doing bad things. It cannot make you do good things. The gospel does the opposite. The gospel compels you to do good things. And in fact, um, when Jesus starts off right near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, he says uh, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what he's talking about. This is the book end to that whole thing. What does that mean? What, what righteousness is higher than the law? Well, if the law can't compel you to do good, it would be something that can compel you to do good. It's the gospel is a higher righteousness. It is not just not hurting people. It's going out of your way to love people, to be gracious with them and kind to them. And you know what? As the body of Christ, this is what we are supposed to be. You should be very wary of Christianity of refrain, I'm going to call it. The Christianity of abstaining. The Christianity that simply says... We are Christians, so here's all the things that we don't do. And we spend all our time not doing these things. And on top of that, we are regularly going to gather and remind each other of the things that we don't do. And we're going to tell everyone outside the church, you can join us if you don't do these things. Amen, let's pray. And that is, it's a Christianity of refrain. Here's the things we don't do. That is law, my friend. That is the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. What Jesus is actually offering is way above that. It's higher. It's this whole other thing. It is not a Christianity of refrain. It is a Christianity which says, no, we're going to be generous and we're going to be gracious and we're going to be loving and we're going to reconcile and we're going to pursue each other and we are going to help each other become healthy and we understand that everyone's at different places but we're all moving towards the same thing and we're going to, we're going to see where you are. I, I understand that's exactly where you are. I am with you. You don't need to become like me. I'm going to come to you and we're together going to walk out of this thing. The body of Christ, the church, is supposed to be the place um, where they understand and accept that you are not at the place you'd like to be at. That, full stop. The church should be that place that understands that you're not where you should be. We are a hospital for sinners, not a, as Timothy Keller would say, a showroom for saints. Um, the church should be the place where they give you what is truly nurturing and where they ask and listen first instead of just throwing pearls of wisdom at you. The place where they, they aren't giving you something that looks good but is actually going to sting you in the end. Um, and there are lots of things like that, that that the modern, again, the modern church is offering that will destroy it. Mixing um, the gospel of, of King Jesus with the good news of king, empire, country, whatever country you're living in. Mixing these two things together, it seems like it could be like fish. Like it seems like it could be something you could eat. It would be good. It would be helpful. You could do good things with it. But it's actually eel. It's forbidden. It, is, it, it, it will cut you off from God. It is not ever what God intended. And so... Um, the church regularly is peddling these, op- these other things that seem like really good things, but they're just not. They're bad gifts. And oftentimes it's, it's just hidden and it's buried in there. The church should be the place where they're grac- as gracious with you as you wish they'd be. And in order to be that, you need to remember, you are part of the church. And if you want a church that is gracious with you, if you want a church that reconciles, that helps you to grow, then you need to be that. The biggest thing you can do for anyone else is work on yourself to become what you desire for the church to be because you are an integral part of the body of Christ. 
This is how this works. And last, but absolutely not least, perhaps the greatest thing to understand is that the church, if we are the body of Christ, we will be broken and poured out for each other. This is how it works. Broken, poured out. This is the symbol of communion. And this is how we end every service. If you are uh, our communion servers, come on and take the elements and spread around the room. Um, Everyone here today, I, I want to invite you to the table of Jesus. I want you to understand that whatever you have, however, however much progress you have in your spiritual life, in your relationship with other people, um, no matter how good or badly you have been performing in these areas, um, you bring it to the table and we all receive grace. We all can find peace. We all receive the same thing, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ spilled for you. So we take a piece of bread, it represents the body of Christ. We dip it in the wine, it represents the blood of Christ, and we eat it um, as a way of being filled by Christ, the one whose life was poured out so that you could find healing and fullness. And it is a reminder that this is how salvation enters into the world, by the body of Christ being broken and poured out for the sins of the world. And it's not just something that happened, it's something that should happen today, collectively with us as a community. And so we're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to pray, spend some time uh, in prayer, confession. If you need to pray with somebody right outside these doors on the left, there's a prayer room there. Um, there will be somebody there to pray with you. If you need to confess something, confess to each other. We're, we are um, the priesthood of the saints, as Paul calls us. We can hear confession and we can say, you are forgiven not because of anything that has to do with my power, but because of what Christ has done for you. You are forgiven in the name of Jesus. And let it go and move forward. So let's pray. Father, Thank you for this place. Grant us healing and guidance and direction. Help us to understand what it means to, uh, to help each other find health and growth and move forward on the journey. Help us not to try to love people from a distance, but to move towards them, to sit, create space, and, and ask. Um, help us to look at the people around us um, through eyes of love. Help us to be gracious and empathetic. Cleanse us, make us whole again. In your name, amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.